0: Ethics is obviously a topic that everybody ought to self-define. For a client who needs a litigator is, first of all, try to stay out of litigation. The same thing's true for a college. But when the board speaks publicly,
1: they have to speak with one voice. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On this episode of In the Know, we interviewed Jeff Advocate, trustee at the County College of Morris in New Jersey. Jeff was in town for the most recent Governance Leadership Institute, so we talked to him about community college board ethics. He's been an attorney for nearly four decades and had a lot of good advice regarding ethical dilemmas trustees might encounter. I guess right off the bat, how how do you recognize an ethics problem?
0: Well, first of all, first of all, um, I think I, I ought to reveal to your listeners that I'm an attorney for almost forty years, and it's kind of ironic that you're asking an attorney for, <laughs> about. <laughs> Uh, issues having to do with ethics, but I'll do the best I can, okay, under those circumstances. Um, ethics is obviously a topic that everybody can ought to self-define. Uh, nobody should tell anybody else what's, what is ethical to them and what's not ethical to them. But the question that you ask is important because as a trustee board member, you need to start to think about recognizing when and if there's some ethical issue that pops up and that's something that you must do and that's something that you can only do for yourself uh, based upon your own ethical code and your own uh, ethical beliefs so so number one regarding what to do as a trustee is recognizing if there's an ethical issue that popped up Um, you know uh, I tell clients of mine in my law practice, but I also talk about this with my own board of trustees. Trustees, what you want to do, you know, if there's if there's a lawsuit, uh, and uh, I go to court every week for people, um, I'm what uh, you refer to as a litigator. But what I tell my clients is. The number one thing a litigator can do for you is to do everything possible to keep you out of litigation. I call that litigation avoidance. Now it's kind of ironic because if my clients avoid litigation, I earn less money. <laughs> but, but I'm not into it just for the money. I'm into it to do the best thing possible for clients. And the best thing for a client who needs a litigator is first of all, try to stay out of litigation. The same thing's true for a college. If you're on a board of trustees, um, there are sometimes there are times when colleges get involved in litigation. Um, what you want to try to do as a member of a trustee board of that college is to do what you can to avoid litigation if you can. One way to do that is to recognize a conflict and avoid the conflict so so conflict recognition is a, an important initial step. let me can, can I can I try to answer that question uh, right off the bat? Sure. Um, The way to recognize whether there might be a conflict ethically or not is if there's some type of the literature will talk about what some type of possible personal gain. Now, listen to the words I just used. Some type That means it's kind of nebulous because there's many different types. Possible, I said, personal gain. And that's important because even if there is no personal gain, I'll give you an example in a minute, it's the appearance of a personal gain that you have to avoid, not just the personal gain itself. Here's an example. Let's say I'm a member of a board of trustees and I happen to be friends with a contractor who submitted a bid to build a new building on our college campus. Well, if I vote to approve that guy's bid, it might look funny because I know the guy. And all somebody has to allege, see, I'm, I'm throwing in all these legal terms, right, allege, it's easy to allege lots of things, by the way, all somebody has to do is allege, hey, you voted for that contractor because you know the guy. Maybe you're getting some benefit out of that. And the first person that's going to say that is the second contractor who submitted the bid that we didn't approve. So I don't want that to happen. And, uh, and trustee members should, trustee board members should not want that to happen. The appearance that something was wrong. Now, I, if I vote for that contractor's bid, I'm not going to get any benefit out of it in reality. But there's an appearance that I might have. And that's what you have to avoid. So that's what I mean by the appearance of a personal gain. If there's anything like that whatsoever, and I say whatsoever, that's, a, that's another good way to put it because my barometer that I suggest to board members is very low. The minute you have an inkling in your mind that there might be some type of a conflict, automatically act like there is. Because that's the only way to avoid as many as you can. Um, and uh, so I wanted to answer you by telling you that, that that's really significant, trying to make sure you can recognize that there's an issue that you got to deal with.
2: What do you do when there is an ethical conflict?
0: Okay, it, it, if something like this pops up, there's a couple different things that you uh, should do to, to deal with it. The one I like best is to use a vote known as abstaining. Some people call it rec- recusal. Um, it means stay away from the vote that has to do with a possible appearance of a conflict of interest. There's nothing wrong with abstaining when you have the reason to do so. It's not avoiding your work, it's actually the best way to handle your job. So. The best way to vote for something if you're involved in some way or have the appearance of being involved is to abstain. Let me give you an actual example. Every year my board, one of our resolutions, our annual resolutions, has to do with a list of about a half a dozen banks that our school uses in its banking and finance work, Uh, banks where we have uh, accounts that generate interest and, and there might be some loans back and forth, and banking and financial work. Well, I always have, in my legal practice, I always have a relationship with at least one of those banks on that list, uh, a relationship that has to do with my law office. So every time when I get that resolution, I always abstain because I don't want it to look like I voted in favor of a list of banks and I have an affiliation with one or more of them. I don't want it to look like I did my bank a favor. So I always would abstain in that regard, and that way it k- keeps it crystal clear. You know, a bank that's not on that list for our school to use is not gonna get mad at, at my vote because I voted in favor of an alternative bank if I abstain, so that's one way to handle it. Another way would be to talk to the uh, board attorney, oh, just about every board in the country has a board attorney to talk to, and, and run the idea and the problem by the board attorney and and see what the board attorney can give you in terms of advice. The attorney might say, no, I don't even feel that is a conflict. Or the attorney might say, yeah, why don't you uh, think about abstaining under a, a certain situation? Or they might discuss it some other way with you. So the board attorney, one of the reasons why they're there is to help you with these kind of issues. I'd also talk to the board chair, Why not discuss it with the board chair? The board chair might have experience with these kind of problems, and that's another reason why the chair is there, to give you some advice. And by the way, you also it doesn't hurt to talk to other members of the board, whether they're the chair or not. You're supposed to work as a group, and you're supposed to be friends, and you're supposed to work together, and you might give each other advice. Hey, everybody. Uh, do you think I have a conflict with X, Y, and Z? Because I know know this person and I've had dealings with this person. What should I do? See what they say. And another way to handle the problem is look at the board policies and manual that you have developed uh, with regard to these issues. Uh, Many times they're incorporated in your bylaws. There should be, and if there's not, by the way, I recommend that there must be uh, a code of ethics that uh, is involved in your bylaws, and that will probably have uh, some language that will help you address how to handle it. By the way, if it doesn't, you need to revise your bylaws, which I recommend and uh, on a regular basis, and uh, that'll give you some guidance on how to handle the situation. Those are some ideas on how to handle an ethical problem if it pops up.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, during the Governance Leadership Institute, somebody asked you a question about conflicts of interest, specifically uh, a case in which maybe one trustee, maybe a group of trustees feel that there is a conflict of interest and others may not feel that there is. And just to raise the ante on a hypothetical situation, what if uh, it's the board chair or the president who doesn't? feel that it's a conflict of interest, who may have that conflict, and other board members do. How do you bring that up? What's the right setting? Uh, you talked about talking to the uh, the legal counsel. Is it appropriate for any trustee just to go straight to the legal counsel should they go through the board chair? Are there standard processes, or is that variable among different institutions?
0: Let me, let me give you my thoughts on that. Um. There are times that although you work as a group and, and usually uh, most of the time you become friends with each other, but there are times that are can be awkward on uh, different issues like the one you're talking about. And if if I felt that another member of the board was in some type of uh, conflict of interest or possible violation of their fiduciary duty of some sort... Um, I would handle it a number of different ways. First, I would try to pull the person aside and just talk. Um, it might not be an issue that is something that you have a right to 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 stop. Uh, if a, another member of the board feels strongly about their position, like it or not, they're allowed to have that position. But on the other hand, it might be something soft that you can just talk talk through and and maybe have that other trustee rethink their, thought, their, their position on it, and they might say, you know what, thanks a lot for talking to me about it. I didn't look at it that way. That's number one. But if it's a bigger issue that's more um, kind of uh, difficult to deal with uh, and might cause a lot of friction, absolutely the board attorney is the person to go to. The attorney uh, can um, put out fires a lot easier than anybody else can sometimes because they are the one that is objective. They're the one that is legally authoritative. They're the ones who can get your message across without the message having to come directly from you. Um, and uh, many times uh, I think that that's part of the uh, board attorney's job to, um, to uh, put out potential fires. And uh, I know there have been times when our attorney has, has done that. Uh, in a very professional way and by the way eventually a lot of dust settles Uh, when when problems like that kind of arise they can be talked about and one or two meetings later everything's okay again Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, you're asking a very pragmatic question but there are um, kind of personal common sense ways to handle it in my experience
2: so all, all of these conflicts that we've discussed have been pretty much uh, contained internally. And in, at a lot of uh, localities, the local media pay a lot of attention to what goes on on a college board. Uh, and sometimes there may be perceived um, ethical uh, compromises or perceived conflicts of interest that may or may not be real, but somebody could be investigating. Are there ways that you would recommend to limit uh, communications so that the per- perception of conflicts or ethical compromises may, uh, you know, may be better under control?
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, I have a couple answers for that area. Um, first of all, one of the one of the uh, responsibilities of the board chair is that very responsibility in my view the board consists of a number of different people uh, all of whom are allowed to voice their opinion and vote on resolutions any way they feel is the right way to vote but when the board speaks publicly they have to speak with one voice and that one voice should come through the chairmanship so so um, my advice to board members would be this. Um, make sure your board chair speaks on behalf of the board, and when that happens, make sure that you don't speak publicly for the board as a whole because you shouldn't conflict with what the, chair, uh, the chairman does. So that, that, that's, that's kind of uh, an unwritten black-letter law uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I would also add something else. When you want to avoid problems, you know, you know, we live in a world of investigation these days. And when you want to avoid problems, you can't avoid investigation of problems. So what you do is you have to be open to the public as much as you, uh, you're required under the law. But what it means is do your job. And, and by that I mean, be a really good trustee. When you do open your mouth, when you do vote on a resolution, uh, you know, be the one who read the background information so that you're speaking with an accurate voice. Use the data that you, your school has developed and statistics that you can rely on. Um, s- speak with authority. T- take notes that are accurate notes Uh, relatively succinct but accurate and ones that show that uh, your board just didn't sort of willy-nilly vote on something as if they couldn't care less they gave it thought they reviewed it they had committee meetings about it they have research that they're relying on and substantiate the work that you do and then you know any investigation in the world would be fine when uh, it'll reveal the fact that you've all done your work, and you followed the rules, and you um, uh, have policies that are appropriate, and your decisions were made on solid ground. Uh, having done that, you should have nothing to worry about in terms of the outside looking in.
2: In another episode, you spoke a little bit about uh, being really careful with email Text, um, potentially even social media for some trustees. Is there anything that you'd like to add from an ethical standpoint about written communications?
0: Well, uh, actually, what I would do is uh, uh, re- reiterate the thought that um, just be careful and cautious and 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 intelligent about it. Um, I, I I think it's it is worth reminding your listeners that. Um, Everything can be used, so make sure that there's as little as possible that can be used against the school. Uh, you know, your job is to always do what's right for the school. Um, you know, I, I don't have to tell your listeners this, but um, never lie, never uh, 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 put things in writing that you, um, when you there's no reason why you can't speak personally about it. Um, I'm not saying change your vote. I'm not saying uh, 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 fabricate information. None of that stuff should happen. But just be cautious about uh, putting your thoughts in black and white because sometimes if you make a mistake, you kind of wish you you were biting your lip. Once in a while, in terms of of putting things in writing, bite your lip, talk in person, and deal with it on a more personal level. Uh, I think that's what a board ought to do.
1: If you liked this episode, check out our other episode we recorded with Jeff about what new trustees should know before getting started. It's titled, Attention Trustees, this episode is for you. Remember to subscribe so you're notified when we release new episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.